welcome everybody. Welcome to the Gospel Saving Church. Another wonderful week. Thank you for all for coming and uh, thank you all for listening, whoever, wherever you are. Thank you for listening to this uh, little broadcast that we've got going on here. Just going to be talking about Jesus today, going to be reading the Word. The title of our message today is Totally Humble, Submissive, and Sold Out for Christ. And we're going to be looking at John the Baptist and quite a bit of his life. Again, I know it's two weeks we're going to be studying John the Baptist, but nevertheless, we're going to be studying his ways. We're going to be studying his life. Um, Interestingly enough, before we pray, God's ways are not our ways because last week I skipped these five verses of this one chapter uh, three talking about John baptizing Jesus. And really, I could have literally just brushed over them in a matter of just a few minutes, but I didn't want to because of time. I thought, well, we're going to be too much on time. I don't want, you know, I don't want to, you know, take go, you know, go too long. I don't want to run too long. I want to try to keep, you know, moderation in my the services to moderation, so on and so forth. But really, I could have brushed them over in about less than five minutes. But yet today, we find that all we're going to look at is five verses. We're going to study five verses today. And I hope we have enough time today because God has given me so much on these five verses that I'm just so blown away and I hope it blows your mind too because my mind is blown away uh, for all the information that God has given me for just these five verses. Praise Jesus for he is so good. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll read our text. And we'll learn and grow. So we're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us here. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching. How much I have grown. Lord, just uh, reading your word and studying your word and filling this role as a pastor, filling this role as a teacher, uh, doing the things that you want me to do. And I just pray, Lord God, that all this would be just wholly and devotedly passed on to those that will listen to this, Lord God, I pray that what they hear, Lord God, would even, as the message today we'll see, there's there's, there's two paths, walking in the Spirit and walking out of the Spirit. Well, I pray that, um, Lord, that we would all, uh, that those hearing and us in here would walk and choose that life of living according to the Spirit and, Lord, not according to the flesh, as we're going to look at today in Galatians and as we look at in John's message. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and I just pray that you lift up this time to you, Lord God. And um, I just pray that you would bless us all by hearing your word and that we'd all be just totally blessed and ready to go for you. And, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin Matthew chapter 3. We're going to study verses 13. Through 17. So I'm just going to read them over and then we'll teach through them. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousnesses. Then he allowed him. 
And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This teaching really challenged me this week. And just for my own life and for the lives of you know people I love and just for my own walk. And I, I hope it does the same for you because it's really, really when we look at these, at John's life and how he lived and what he did and how he acted toward Jesus, uh, really, really, hope it really makes us think. So think about this as we're going to be reading through our notes. I'm going to be teaching through the word. What spirit should we be walking in daily? And let's look at the example of John and how he lived. And then we're going to look and take a hard look at ourselves. So last week we heard some great credentials about John. But this week we're going to learn even more from him about how we're supposed to live our Christian lives. So let's look at John. First of all, we can't hardly notice when we step back a few verses <clears throat> to chapter 3, you know, in the preaching of John when he first came to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, his preaching, he was a fiery, fiery, fiery preacher. Um, nevertheless, he was also submissive, humble, and a sold out dude for Jesus. He loved Jesus with all his heart. Now, this meeting that they had here from 13 to 17, which is a meeting that is uh, the first one recorded in Matthew, was not their first. It was actually their one of many. Um, actually lived, uh, actually were cousins. Actually, Jesus was six months younger than John. It wasn't their first meeting here in Matthew. <clears throat> it wasn't their first one, and it wasn't scripturally going to be their last. So think about that for a moment as we go on. Not only are we looking at what spirit are we walking in, but think about that for a minute too. Uh, Jesus and John were six months apart. Luke one thirty six tells us this. Uh, John was conceived in his mother about six months before Mary was conceived, had the visitation from the angel Gabriel. And... Um, well, think about cousins. Think about family. They were cousins. They were family. Think about your younger cousin if you've ever been to like, if you've ever been to family reunions and family uh, times that you got to sit together with your family. And I, I remember back from when I was a kid, when I would go to my reunions, my family reunions, or we'd go over to hang out with family, my cousins wouldn't treat me well because I was their younger cousin. And I wouldn't treat my younger cousins very well because they were my younger cousins. and You know, there was some disdain there. So there was some disrespect there for the cousins to be one cousin to another. And so as we look at John and his interactions with Jesus, we mustn't forget that John had the fleshly advantage of Jesus. He was six months older. And so being six months older, he could have felt some authority there. But yet, as we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John. <laughs> We're going to look at some of the things that John said and how he lived and actually see that he saw himself as inferior. So let's 
browse over to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. If you're turning, you can turn with me. So in John chapter 1, this is another meeting that Jesus and John met at, and we're going to go down to verse 29 and go from 29 to 37. So it says here, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to his testimony of Jesus now. This is he of whom I said, After me, listen, because he knew that Jesus was born after him, comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. Now, was John confused there? No. John just said he was before me, meaning in the birth, or I was before him, birth-wise, but yet he is—he was before me. Why was he saying that? Well, of course, he realized that Jesus was eternal like God, and he realized that he was God. Number one, he goes, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day John stood with his two disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, not only did he give an awesome testimony about Jesus, already stating there that Jesus was born before him, but that yet he was before him, or Jesus was born after him. I wish I quit saying that. It's kind of confusing. Jesus was born after him, yet he was before him, meaning born after, but yet since he's eternal, he was before me. But yet look at what he says here about Jesus. He gives him total adoration, Total worship, total praise in what he says. And on top of that, look what he says. The next day, after the first time he saw him, he stood there with his two disciples. He lifted up and he praised and glorified Jesus. And what happened? Two of his disciples left. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a minister for the Lord and I was standing there ministering for you know for, for the God for for God and, and worshiping him and serving him in the ministry, and then I said, Hey, look at there, there's that, there's there's God, you know, there's the Messiah. And two of my guys left. I'd be like, well, dang. Man, I'm trying to build a ministry here. And now my guys are leaving to go follow him. You know, and be like, wow. But John, let it happen. Go over to 3, 28 through 31. And we kind of find out why. 28 through 31, he's talking with some religious leaders that came. And he says to them, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has or he, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Look at that. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he sees, I'm sorry, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. So he's talking about Jesus again. He hit the key, he hit the nail on the head. What would, what must Jesus do? Jesus must increase, while John decreases. That was John's frame of mind. John lived his life every day going. Jesus must increase, God must increase, 
while I decrease. He's up, I'm down. God's high, I'm low. That's how John lived his life. Didn't matter that they were cousins. Didn't matter that John had the advantage in the flesh. It mattered that Jesus was who he says he was, and John was just John, just a man. Now, explain this a little bit. John here says, I did not know him. In, in chapter 1, he says, I did not know him except that he be revealed to Israel. Well, obviously that was not John saying, I've never seen or heard or know of Jesus ever before. He said, I did not know him because God had to give him that vision, showed him that he was going to be baptized in the Christ, so that he was the Christ. God gave him that, that, that knowledge that he was going to be baptized in the Christ, and that he who, you know, who the dove sat upon, that was the one who was going to be the one that God was calling. So he didn't, he didn't mean, I did never know him, I never knew him before in my life, because they were cousins. They would have gone to family, get-togethers together. When Jesus was about 12 or 13 years old, they went up to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God, and the caravan, the families would caravan together and go as a huge family, because we know that by why when they came home, uh, Jesus was actually missing. He was still at the temple, staying at the temple. He was kind of talking with the religious leaders and so on and so forth. And then Mary and jo Jerry, Joseph and Mary didn't even know that Jesus was gone, except for they got a ways out, so that's how big the caravan was. So they, John and Jesus would have grown up together. He definitely knew who he was. Uh, when, whenever the revelation came that John was at, or Jesus was actually the Son of God, we don't know when that came, but I did not know him. That's what that meant. So how? So John lived this awesome life, sold out for Christ, lived in the wilderness. We read about last week about how he, he ate locusts and wild honey and, and was a crazy man for Jesus and was a, was a crazy man for God and came preaching and baptizing and so on and so forth. So how? is the big question. How did John live the kind of sold-out life to God that he did? Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, God tells us, uh, basically in Luke's recording, the angel Gabriel comes to Zacharias, John's dad, and says to John's dad that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Because the only way that John could live the kind of life that he did for God and for Christ is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. The Holy Spirit is the key in John's life that allowed him to live the kind of life that he did toward Jesus and even towards mankind. Now, very important note before we move on to John's life regarding the Holy Spirit. John wasn't born again like we can be today, would he, but he would have had the true triune character of God living in him, leading him, and guiding him. And this we know that he wasn't born again because we go to John chapter 7. Verses 37 to 39, and Jesus tells us, basically he's preaching, and he tells us that, we're going to look here, John chapter 7, if you want to turn to it while I am. Go down to verse 37, and go to 39, so we go to 37. And Jesus is Jesus talking now. On the last day, the day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John commentates below. He says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, but yet it says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So was John born again? Because if John was born again, 
then we found a contradiction in the Bible and we can't trust it. So what's the key here? The key, what we read here in that Gabriel said, it's in the very word that Gabriel said in, to, to John the Baptist's father, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. This is the key point of contradiction. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.13, we turn to those now. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he says, talking about Jesus starting in, in 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So then we go to Ephesians 1.13. In Ephesians 1.13, he says, Paul again is writing to the church in Ephesus, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what's the key? John the Baptist was only filled. What God offers now after the resurrection of Christ is the sealing of people. So here are the words. The Greek word for sealed is spragzio, and it means actually literally to set a seal upon, to mark with a seal, or to seal actually from for security from Satan. That's part of the definition. But in John's case, he was only filled. The Greek word would be pimplima, or pimplimai. And it just simply means to fill or to be filled. So John's vessel Instead of sealed, because Christ had not been glorified because he hadn't been resurrected yet, John's vessel was only filled and not sealed with the Spirit that God gave. So, again, looks like a contradiction, but yet we find it to be truth. We find the Bible to always be true. So John, he was very full of the Spirit of God indeed to live for God and to give Jesus the honor that he did in their encounters. I mentioned again, even though the, in the flesh he had the advantage. Plus C, that he was concerned. God showed me this the other day when I was at work. This is an awesome point. I, I didn't see until God showed it to me. John was more concerned. Think about this. This is how John lived, and this is how a real Christian should be living. As we're looking at John's life as parallel to our own, how we should be living. John was more concerned with people's eternity than his own personal comfort and popularity. Because not only did he call out the religious leaders, remember in Matthew chapter 3 when we were reading Brood of Vipers, he called them out. Not only did he call them out during his baptism, which would have made him very unpopular, by the way, um, he wouldn't have been, he wasn't trying to score any brownie points there. People, I mean, they would have scorned him, they would have scolded him for saying that. But later in John's ministry, he was also put in prison and actually murdered by Herod for speaking out against his adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. And that was straight up adultery. This King Herod of the Jews, uh, not Herod the Great, Jesus is now grown up in his 30s, another Herod, uh, was an adulterer. He married his brother Philip's wife, so John spoke out against that. So 
John, notice, didn't just give lip service. He didn't just speak these things about God. He didn't just speak this life that he lived for God. But he also gave his life as actions, as again we saw that he suffered for his belief. He suffered for his faith in Christ. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit that John lived in. We turn to Galatians chapter 5 and see that the Spirit of God and see that the Spirit of God bears a certain type of fruit. So we go over to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read it. Go down to verse 22 and 23. Paul writing to the church of Galatia. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, the fruit of the Spirit bears a certain kind of fruit. And it's good fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, against which such there is no law. And he says here, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We see this kind of fruit in John's life, especially, especially love. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, because I definitely was this week, I'm thinking, well, God, you're giving me this message and you're talking to me about all this stuff, but yet I don't really see... Other than the sacrifices that John made in his flesh, I don't really see where John loved. I mean, he called out these religious vipers, brood of vipers, or these religious leaders, brood of vipers. He calls out King Herod, and Herodias was like mad at him. Herodias was who he married, Herod's wife Herodias, John, his brother's Philip's wife. And I'm like, where's the love here? Where's the love? So... God had to show me, and as I hope he shows you, where the love is. We think of love as just nice, nice words and all being gently kind and nice and all, oh, oh baby, I love you and all this, is, you're so sweet and you're so gentle. But let's look at it like this. Imagine, any parent out there, any parent in here, imagine your child... Imagine someone you love, a good friend, and their child, you, you walk, you're walking along one day and you're walking near a busy intersection and you see their three-year-old child playing in the middle of a busy intersection. Something like McDermott here in Allen or, you know, 380 here in Allen or in McKinney, maybe wherever you are, you know, you have, you're thinking about a busy intersection right now. But think about a very busy intersection and you see a three-year-old child playing in that busy intersection. And to that three-year-old child, you call out and you yell, Hey, kid, get out, Johnny, Joey, Jimmy, get out of the lane, get out of the traffic, you're going to get killed. And there's cars whizzing by him. And all of a sudden, there comes this big semi just barreling down the road, 45, 50 miles an hour. And of course, semis, they take up, you know, easily take up one, more than one lane if they veer just a little bit, you know. So then you see that the kid's not moving. So you run at that child, you risk your own life, you pick him up, 
and you dive off to the side of the road, slamming you and him into the wall or into the grass, and maybe you even broke a rib, and maybe a rib of his broke or something like that, and now you guys are both hurt, but he's still alive. Did you exert love there? Did you show love to that child? Would you rather have your child, think moms and dads, would you rather have your child, that was your child, would you rather have your child with a broken rib or a broken arm or squashed flat like a dead squirrel in the middle of the intersection by a, by a huge semi? Well, think about it. That love hurt because that child wasn't living right. That child was in danger in that intersection and he wasn't listening. Well, look at John's preaching. Brood of vipers. He knew that they were living in the wrong way. He knew that they were on a one-way ticket to hell. So his words, although not, oh, I love you, oh, oh, sweet people, oh, please, please turn. His words, although his words were words that he spoke because he loved them and he wanted to see them turn back from the wickedness in which they were living and turn to God. Now those words were harsh, but who says that harsh words aren't loving? Well, in our society today, we would say that, but realistically, that wasn't then, and I don't think it's now. I think you can't be politically correct when you see somebody on their way to hell, and you have to say something hard to them that's going to tell them, hey, wake up, please, you're on your way to hell. That That's not very nice, people might say. Well, think about it. If John the Baptist, which he did, was filled with God's Holy Spirit from birth, that means he had God's triune character living in him, although he wasn't sealed. So this was God living through John, telling others a harsh reality and a harsh truth that would wake them up from a dangerous lifestyle that they were living in. So should this be something that we do? Yes, you should be out there, if you're friends with somebody and they're in danger, you're walking and you're trying to talk to somebody and they're living in sin and it's very easily seen, you should say, hey man, you're in danger. Say it in love, but you got to say it. In, you got to say it. You got to say you're in danger. This is something John did. God's heart was living. God's spirit was living through John. This is something that God did. This is love. Also, John, we look at him and the ways he lived and the things that he said and how he sacrificed. And we look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where Paul writes, we go there now. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If I can ever get there myself, that'd be helpful. where Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And slash, you could say, it was in John the Baptist too. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, obviously, that wasn't John, but... That was Jesus. But John did that, did that, made himself a bondservant of all. And being found... In the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
of those in heaven and of those on, in the earth, on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now he starts out, verse 5, let this mind be in you. Well, we see this mind in John the Baptist. Humbleness. Love. Exalting God. Putting God first in everything that he did. Making God his number one. We also read in Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you could also, for that poor in spirit, you could substitute the word humble in spirit as well. Now both of these, we really see John's life parallel these verses in the way that he lived. Now down toward the end there of Philippians 2, 11, and then in 2, 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, those, verse 9, excuse me, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, look at what God does for the humble. If you're really humble and if you're really contrite and you're really poor in spirit, look at John. We go back to exactly what we said last week. Remember in Matthew 11, 11, the testimony that Jesus gave about John, that there was none, none born greater than John that was born of a woman. Now, why did Jesus give John that testimony? Well, look at the way John lived for Christ. There's only a few people that we're going to point out here, and I'm sure there's a few more, but not very many people biblically got that said about them by God himself. We have Enoch in Genesis 5.24. He walked with God, and then he was no more because God caught him up. The Bible doesn't really say much about Enoch except for he walked with God. We got David. Samuel, speaking on behalf of God in 1 Samuel 13, 14, uh, he says that's where David was called a man after God's own heart. Now, Samuel is speaking for God. God, again, giving a personal testimony. And look at the way David lived for God. Although David made some mistakes, he always repented, he always returned, and he wholeheartedly lived all out for God until the day of his death, never turning away. Again, I'm sure there's a few others. Uh, but that the Lord gave John and these other people this, this personal testimony, this awesome personal testimony, shows me something about I need to look at John's life and I need that, that needs to be how I live for God too. I don't know about you too. I was just thinking this this morning as I was looking over my nose. I want God to say that about me. I want God to have that testimony about me. I know that Ed Spagnoli is not written of in the Bible, and every true Christian on the face of the planet right now is not written of in the Bible because the Bible's been a, it's a stopped book. It was done in Revelation. But when I face him, I want to hear that from God. I want to hear him give a testimony about me. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Hmm. So we see John. We'll go back to our main text in Matthew. And we go to verse 14, and we're going to see something else. It says, John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Well, look at this, and this is important that we can look at for our lives today. John even obeyed Christ when it didn't make any sense. Think about that. You're John the Baptist. You know that you're not the Christ, but people think that you are. You're submitting yourself under his authority. 
He's a little older, and you're a little older than Jesus, and yet, you know, here you are. But you know that he came before you. You know that he's God Almighty. You know that he is God, God in the flesh. And yet, this God comes to you and says, baptize me. I would have felt unworthy just like John did. Baptize you? I would have said the same thing. You need to be baptizing me, please. He, he had just preached that he will be baptizing you with, with the Holy Spirit and fire. I would have said, Jesus, baptize me. I want to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and by fire. Uh, what do you mean, me baptize you? And that Jesus responds to him, permit, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, then it says, he did it. So it's just like, even though he didn't understand, but God, I don't understand. How could it be? You're asking me to do something I need you to do for me, and yet you want me to do that for you? Just do it, man. Just do it. Yes, sir. Boom. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. We, although we may not understand everything that happens to us in our life, and we may not understand everything that God is telling us to do, we need to obey if he tells us to do it. Also note, this is interesting that God showed me. Verses 16 and 17 in our text. Uh, John the Baptist, and he actually even says this in, in the, the Gospel of John, was the only one recorded in Scripture that got to see the miracle of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus after the baptism and hear the Father's testimony of Jesus. John speaks about it in Gospel of John 1.33 and tells us that this was to confirm to him that Jesus was the Christ and this is what God did for him to confirm to him that this is you know, this was you know, the Christ. But nevertheless, John, there was a lot of people there. Remember, there were a lot of people coming out to John. But John's the only one that was recorded in Scripture as being the one that saw it, the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, and the angel descending, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and God speaking from heaven to John. That's pretty awesome. So, in recap, as we recap it all, we need to use John as our example, and we need to look at his ways and how he lived in those ways. And he lived with the Holy Spirit. People now can be born again and have the Holy Spirit's seal on them. And we need to walk according to that same Spirit. We need, we're going to go back to Galatians 5.22 and 5.23. And we're going to look at, again... We're going to look at, again, the fruits of the Spirit, and then we're going to see what they say, and we're also going to see how we're not supposed to live. So we read them again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's, that's, that's the main thrust, love. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit of the Spirit, because out of love comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay? That's how our daily lives are supposed to be lived. In love. When people say things to us and we're not so happy that we say them and we want to retort and we want to say something maybe nasty back because we want to defend ourselves and we want to, we want to stand up for ourselves, what does the Bible say? Love them. Well, what is love? Love doesn't say anything. Love just listens and says, hey, he's lost. I need to tell him about Jesus. 
Love does not put itself first. Love is last. Love makes God first. What does the scripture say? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, what are the first two commandments and only that all the law and the prophets hang upon? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And the second is just as like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. What did John walk in? Love. What is love? Love is not envious. Love does not boast. Love does not put itself first. Love is last. Love is the one that takes the last seat at the table. Love is the one that gets the last plate of food when there's a bunch of hungry people there and you may be hungry yourself. And love says, you eat before me. Love. That's how we should be walking in. That is the main fruit of the Spirit, is love. But of course, there are two paths that everyone can take. And we just have to go up a few verses to 19 in that same chapter 5 of Galatians, 19 through 21. Now the works or fruit of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness and lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hence, Paul's exhortation in verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. The Bible also says it's a dangerous lifestyle, Romans 8.6, to be carnally minded. To be carnally minded, Romans 8.6 8, 6 says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So walking according to the flesh will only inherit us condemnation. But walking in the Spirit is life everlasting. Just think about that. Read them over again. Works of the flesh. Adultery. Jesus said, even if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. You could say man. Adultery. Fornication. Having relations with a woman that's not your wife. Or a wife to a man. Go skip down one of the ones that we see more now. Idolatry. In this country, people have idolatry toward money. Sorcery. Hatred. I see hatred around me in this world more than I see anything. People hate one another just because they do. They hate. Hatred. Contentious. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Oh, it's all about me. Everything of what I can get. Dissensions. Heresies. Boy, do we see heresies now. Envy. Murders. Jesus says, even if you hate somebody, you just committed murder. Murders. Look at the look at the look at the ways of the flesh. And which I told you beforehand. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Turn to Romans six, five through seven. And we're going to understand one thing before we Get going before we close out. There's no way that anyone 
can live the kind of spirit-filled life that Galatians talks about and the life that John lived unless we are born again because God doesn't fill people with the Holy Spirit anymore. God fills mankind if we ask for the power of the Spirit, which is just the power to have the gifts of the Spirit. But God doesn't fill people anymore with the Spirit. God seals with the Spirit anymore if somebody wants Christ and gets saved. But there's no way we can live that kind of life unless we're born again. So not only can you not live that life unless you're born again, but John chapter 3 that we're going to read in a minute, in a moment, says that none shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself says none shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So, Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that, knowing this, that our old man has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should live no longer being slaves of sin. So, being born again is being united with Christ's death. You see that in 6, 5-7 that we that we are born slaves of sin. Mankind, we're born slaves of sin. You can't even stop yourself from sinning because we're born as slaves of sin. Now, the only way we get out of that, again, is if we are united with the likeness of Christ's death. Which, in other words, is that fancy word that the Bible always talks about, repentance. Unless we've taken that step of repentance to become united in Christ's death, we, we, we can only be slaves to sin. Now, if, if we've repented of our sins and truly made a decision in our hearts to turn to Christ, that at that point, once you make that decision to say, I realize that I'm on the wrong path, I need Christ, I need God, I need to live for God. At that point, God takes his Holy Spirit and puts it in you and seals you. And at that point is the only point at which we can say, I have the power to live that Spirit-filled life, that Spirit-sealed life like John lived. And then he seals us and saves us. Or in other words, unless we're united with Christ's death and are born again and have repented of our sins and are walking in the Spirit, uh, as 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's actually what happens. When we go from that likeness of death and we go from that born in sin and slaves to sin to, to free in Christ, to free in the Spirit, to be born again, and we're new, we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore then we are a new creation. But notice, this is very important, very, very, very important, that Galatians 5, 19 through 21, that walking in that flesh is for anyone. Whether you are born again or are not born again, anyone that decides to live that life, whether they've come to know God and turn away or whether they have never known God and are still in that situation, is still in that way of life, that that 
living that kind of lifestyle of sin that we read about in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is for everyone. Because Hebrews 10, 26 tells us that if we have come to the knowledge of truth and still turn back, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but nothing but a fearful expectation, basically, of the judgment. So no matter what, if anyone, whatever stage of your life you're in, whether you've come to know Christ and are backslidden or whether you are never come to know God in the first place, if you're living a lifestyle of sin in those Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and others too, just evilness and wickedness that you live in, even though you call yourself a Christian, even though you say, well, I've been born again or I've been saved, I'm just backslidden, the Bible says that anyone that practices that lifestyle of sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, in closing... Final exhortations to all of us, wherever you're at as you listen to this message. Because we either, like we read last week, you either gather together or you scatter abroad for God. Same thing. So if you would consider yourself like John, who we would put in the saved category, saved from his sins, born again category, walking in the ways of the Spirit, walking in love, then the exhortation to you would be to walk more and more and more humbly and submissive to Christ and to God and to walk more in love and to be seeking God daily and saying, okay, God, how do I serve you today? And reading his word and saying, God, how do I live for you today? And God, show me the way and seeking his face daily. That that would be my exhortation to you. If, you. if you're living that John the Baptist life, just going more and more and more and more and more. Because there's always areas of room of improvement that we all have where what ways God... You know, can I live for you more in my life? There's always little things that we can do more and more and more and more and more to serve Him and to love Him. But if you find yourself not living in the John category and walking in the fulfillment of the ways of the flesh, then you need to realize that you are not right with God and separated from Him because of your sinful lifestyle. And at that, when if you realize that today, my plea to you, my exhortation to you would be for you to make a decision, that huge step of repentance, and turn to God away from your sins and surrender your life to Christ. If you've done it before, do it again. Because if you're hearing this and God's saying you live in those ways, you live in sinful life, you live, and you know if you are, if you're out there and you listen to this, you know if you're not living for God, if you know if he's not your Lord, you know that. It's in your heart somewhere. God's trying to tell you right now. Turn. Turn away. Because those who practice such ways of sinful lifestyle shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Just go to Galatians 5 and you'll, and you'll see. So go back to God or go to God in the first place so that God can either renew His Spirit within you or fill you for the first time with His Holy Spirit as you turn to Him and just get right and read His Word and find yourself a good Bible-believing church and go for God with all your heart to the day you die. Because God wants to bring us into a right standing with himself. God doesn't want to condemn anybody at all. Those that are living in the flesh right now or in sin or not right with God. God doesn't say, oh, you, you fool, I can't wait to, to condemn you to hell. God says, please, my son, my child, please come to me. I love you. I want you with me. I want you, I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. So that's our pleas. Live more if we are, come back or come to if you're not.
Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this meeting together. Thank you so much for this service. Thank you so much for this teaching. Thank you so much for John's life and how he lived, how he walked for you. Thank you for the example that you gave us to the, to, of, of John the Baptist, the way he lived. Although having the fleshly advantage over Jesus, he didn't use it. He didn't care. He just lived for you. He sold out to you. And he held himself of no reputation. None at all. Even his society would have seen him as the older. But John didn't. John didn't care. Lord, Paul wrote in one of his epistles that he was a great religious zealot and that all things that he had considered as gain, he considered as loss just at the knowledge, just for the knowledge of Christ. God, I pray that anybody listening here, if they're right with you and they're walking with you, Lord, and they're living in the fruit of the Spirit and they're walking submissive to Christ, I pray that we would continue to do so. And that we would continue to go more and more and more, being more humble and more submissive and more sold out to God. But if any are listening here, Lord God, that are not right with you, God, I pray at this moment that they would turn to you Forget a silly prayer of salvation that's so much taught today, but God, that they would cry out to you in their heart of hearts and say, Jesus, I realize I'm on the wrong path and I live that life of sin. I live that life of fulfillment of the flesh. And they would cry out to you in their hearts right now, dear Jesus, and I pray that they would cry out and say, Save me, Jesus, save me. I don't want to live this way anymore. And cling to you and come to you on your terms and not their own. Please, God, save them. Anybody listening to this that's not right with you, God, please save them. Bring them into a right standing with you. And I love you and I praise you, dear God. And we thank you for bringing us together and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray.